Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Quantum Shit Show. We're your hosts, Jody, Bo, and Danny. What's up? Hello. And we are back again to talk about something that we're foreseeing is going to be um, a stretched out topic. We're going to stretch it over a couple of episodes, and this is something that many have experienced, Maybe if you, maybe even if you don't know it yet (laughs) we're not here to tell you whether you have or haven't or whether you are experiencing it or not but we've talked about toxic healing culture cult being the root and we're gonna jump on that again in this episode and look at something that we have dubbed the near cult experience NCEs. The NCEs. Some people study NDEs, the near-death experience. Some may say they're closely related, but we have our own, um, like like in many of the topics, or all of the topics that we bring to the table here to talk about, we have our own experiences, and we'll give a little bit of background about what is a cult. Maybe even last season we talked about it some. We may have defined the, some characteristics of a cult. Uh, whenever we started this show, we had all just gotten out of this community. And I say, quote unquote, gotten out of. Like you come and you go. Uh, but it was this breakdown of our understanding of relationships as we knew them, community as we knew it, our role in the community, and how coming back to a relationship with God and Really finding something apart from all of that within ourselves has helped guide us through the muck that was present in our understanding of community and relationships and how we bonded with other people, how we bonded with ideas and identities. And if you're a regular follower of the show, you have heard our in-depth conversations and our personal tales uh, at some level. So we're going to bring more of that to the table and talk about the anatomy of a cult in a way (laughs) from our perspective Mm -hmm. and it may land, it may resonate, Um, sit back, buckle up and enjoy the ride as we dive into the topic of the near cult experience. so funny. Well, I have to say, so this I this conversation started well, it did start whenever we um had this dissolution of relationship and things like that last year cuz Danica, you even shared some things that were um personal to you <clears throat> in that experience on Instagram, which I know we've touched on in another episode before and you were like posing the question if people knew whether or not they were were a part of a cult. 
um, <laughs> which was, which actually had a great line of thought with it and just some really important mm-hmm. questions. Um, and then a few months ago, uh, another person that is connected to all of us um, through social media and then through work that we've done actually shared on their stories um, an upcoming Hulu uh, show that was airing called The Deep End. And I happened to see that the name underneath it of who was being featured in the show was a name I am very familiar with um, through spiritual stuff that I've been introduced to. And um, it was a show documenting the goings on of Teal Swan. So I don't know how many of the people listening to this show are familiar with who Teal Swan is, probably a lot of them, um, because she happens to be a pretty big name in um, spiritual circles. She's built quite a following for herself. And I was introduced to her work probably two years ago. um, And I say introduced to her work. There was someone that I was following on social media that would reference her and share her stuff on their page. And I saw little bits and pieces. I've never followed her work. I've never um, subscribed to her message. Um, I don't know. For me, whenever I, the first thing that I saw of her, I just listened to her for a few minutes and I was like, "Eh, that's a no. That's a no for me. (laughs) And things happened to me. Yeah. And I couldn't even say why it was a no. It was just in my body. My body said, nope, this is not it. So, um, and please don't let that make you think that I am able to highly discern whenever there are people that are still (laughs) doing nonsense because Mm. I have fallen prey, which is why we're doing this episode. Um, Anyway, I started watching the Hulu series with Bo, and I am not kidding you guys. I was gobsmacked. I was just in complete and utter disbelief. First of all, that she agreed to do the show on a level. I mean, on a level, I'm not shocked by it at all because, you know, there are people that get into a certain frame of mind and they so believe in what they're doing that they think they're furthering their cause by letting people follow them around. <laughs> well, and there's no such thing as bad publicity. Exactly. As they say. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, whatever, but I was genuinely just in disbelief and I started having um, Instagram conversations with the girl who had originally shared it. And we would converse back and forth over different episodes and be like, what is going on? How did this happen? And <clears throat> it kind of started me into this process of, I started journaling actually, um, during that time. And I started writing down all of my personal near cult experiences. And so (laughs) I was going to actually share a post and I was like, this is too much. This is a book. This is not going to land on Instagram. (laughs) So we discussed the opportunity to do it as, you know, a podcast episode and now it'll be multiple episodes, but, um, that was kind of what sparked it for me. Uh, but, We've all three had mm-hmm. our own experiences, our near cult experiences, which we're going to get to share with you guys. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, yeah. I guess that was what was the most shocking about the deep end was the fact that she allowed these people to film her and then air all of the stuff that she was saying mm-hmm. on television. Because to to me, and I feel like to any. Uh, person who has a shred of sanity (laughs) that that would be just um incredibly revealing of your motive yeah but it's like i guess if she has no idea of 
she's just unaware that she has a motive, then I guess, I guess someone would agree to something like that. Well, I think she is very aware of her motive and she believes her motive is just. And I think that was the biggest thing is like, she wasn't shying away from, this is what I'm here to do. I'm the only one that can do it. And, you know, I'm an expert Mm -hmm. on human suffering essentially is kind of her thing. And like, because she causes um, it. (laughs) (laughs) But you're also perpetuating it. Did you know? (laughs) You know? And so I don't know. It was just so, it was very revealing. And listen, Mm -hmm. I know it's TV. They edit it, they cut it up and they put it together in a way that that is the most dramatic there. I'm, I'm certain there was much that we didn't see. I'm certain there were many conversations that were had that we didn't see, but the ones we did see were pretty damning evidence. You know, Mm -hmm. it was pretty damning. And so um, this isn't to say like, you know, she's this or she's that one way or another. It's just, it brought up so much around how people, and guess what? I'm a people, you're a people, we're all people. (laughs) How people get sucked into these followings and into, you know, these quote unquote communities um, and what happens. Because when we're looking at it from the outside, watching it, we're like, no, it's a cliff. Don't go over it. You're going to die. You know, we can see it for what it is. But then when you're in it, it's so hard to actually see what is up and what's down. You know, what was so fascinating, I think, is when I was watching the first episode, I remember telling you, Jody, I was like, it's weird because the first, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes of it, she was saying things that I felt like I, I could get and understand and maybe even mm-hmm. agree with on a certain level. And then as it progressed and went on, it was just, uh, I was aghast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think the last episode of that series was the one that Bo and I sat with our mouths gaping open the entire time. Like, oh no, she didn't. Oh, what? What did she just say? <laughs> they got this on film. Oh my God. You know, we were just like, what is happening? And it just got progressively worse as we watched it. And part of it was like, oh, well, I've been there. Right. <laughs> right. That's happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> or I've been a part of a group where I saw that happen to somebody else. Mm-hmm. She yeah. reminded me. She reminded me of somebody that I knew who mm. was a, a figurehead of a community. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that I'll talk a little bit about that <laughs> eventually. Well, like I said, I started writing down, you know, my own near cult experiences. And I say near cult experience because thankfully I was able to uh, exit stage left at some point in the process of me being connected to these different things. And, you know, I mean, one of the biggest ones for me was religion, but I think religion is a big one for everybody. Um, in some way, shape or form, there there are so many people who've been um, – hurt by uh formal religion you know some kind Mm -hmm. of you know denomination or church or structure in that way you know what i find so interesting about that is that pretty much every religion other than the main like the three main abrahamic religions are considered Mm -hmm. to be cults but those are not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i don't understand that i don't understand that at all no I don't understand it because it's not true. Yeah, it's all bullshit. I'm looking up um, just to like refresh myself. I'm looking up 
and actually this says a little bit different. I looked up the definition of a cult, right? Because we've talked about in the first season some of the things that happened to us or with us or were caused by us even in some cases that perpetuated this idea of you're here for a purpose. Here's your assigned role. You don't get to move outside of that assigned role and you need to commit. You need to commit to this thing because no one else can do it except for you. And we've talked about it in artificial timeline construction, um, the fantasy ideologies and the spiritual narratives and agendas. I mean, we've, like I said, we've talked in great depth, um, but there's this underlying thing outline an underlying outline. That's like a framework for what a cult actually is. And I think that it can be loose, but there's a couple of things that are like you're in any situation, whether it's babe, like you said, anything can become a cult, uh, any group of people, whether it's from family to community and anything in between. Mm-hmm. And then there's the cult of personality, which is not necessarily like a, like an organized um, like faith or religion or practice, but it's people like unquestioningly flattering or praising or worshiping some sort of like figurehead or a, a person leader, yeah. or yeah, a leader, a celebrity or <laughs> something like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of where I was going with the, the things that I was reading. I mean, it says people also ask, I'm on Google obviously, but what classifies a cult? A cult is a group or movement held together by a shared commitment to a charismatic leader or ideology. It has a belief system that has the answers to all of life's questions and offers a special solution to be gained <laughs> only by following the leader's rules. Exactly. It's, it's so funny because that's what that's what I was examining as I was writing things in my journal about my experiences because religion is just such an easy one, right? It's like, oh, religion, church. I grew up in church and our church had it when other churches didn't. You know, it's like our brand of religion – was better than every other brand, you know, and we actually really knew the Bible. No one else really knew the Bible. That kind of crap happened all the time among denominations and churchgoers and all of that. But then after I'd left that, I um, went in and started, well, one of the things that I pursued, uh, which was outside of that, it was just uh, personal, was an MLM. And Danica, you and I have talked about this. (laughs) And I'm just going to say it real plain and open for everybody right here, right now. It is my sincere belief that every MLM intends to be a cult because they're the ones who are like, our way is the right way. Our product is the best product. We're here to solve your problems of, Mm -hmm. you know, lack and financial, you know, um, dis-ease in your life. Like we have your answer. They're like missionaries of capitalism. Right. <laughs> right. Because and, they're so focused on getting members. Yes. And so it's all about convincing people that what you have is the best thing for them. It solves all of their woes and problems and answers anything that they need. And I was a part of an MLM for like eight years. And oh my God, the money I spent in there, it was insane. Um, and I remember when it started to fall apart for me because I was watching people from that space literally do the same thing that church people had done about other people. 
that weren't in their space. And I was like, oh my God, this is disgusting. How did I end up here again? Let me tell you something. Once you get uh, hardwired for cult-like community, it becomes easy to jump into another one that doesn't look like one. So let me just say that from, from the rip, you know, it's like people want to belong. People want to have friends. They want to have community. They want to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to feel part of something that has a vision and purpose and all, all the, all these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went from church to an MLM. That's literally what happened to me in my life. It was so easy to just mm-hmm. fall right into it mm-hmm. um, because it looked like this is the answer. It wasn't, it wasn't church. Church sucked, you know, let's try this. This might be the answer. I'll get community. I'll get friends. I'll get money. I'll be living the life, you know? And right. uh, yeah. Crazy. But as soon as you start to dissent. <laughs> oh, oh, let me tell you. You're cast into <laughs> the flames. Yes. That's, that's a clear distinction that, I feel like it's important to make over and over again is Mm -hmm. we've talked about it and I'll mention it again. It's like, it seems (laughs) to be some kind of human nature that makes a person find something and they find this new space. I mean, last episode we talked about paradigms. Mm -hmm. It's like their paradigm shifts and their viewpoint is like in a new, at a new level. And that's everything. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times in, in my life have I come across something and resonated with it fully and totally at the point that I could, you know, it, it pushed me to my limits of feeling and expansion and it felt like everything. And then in due time, that thing got smaller and smaller and smaller as I continue to expand, you know, the consciousness continues to expand. And that's why they say like, you know, sometimes your eyes start out really big and the world is so huge and there's so much to do, but the more you expand in your growth and consciousness, the smaller and smaller the world becomes. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with all of these modalities and healing methods. And I want to make the distinction that what we're talking about as cult behavior or cult-like or the cult experience isn't the same as having something that you're passionate about and feeling like going through that process of feeling like this is everything to me. Right. And this is really, I think the distinction is like what you just said, Danica is like when you decide to grow beyond or past a certain point Mm -hmm. and have a different experience or open yourself up to even be willing to have a new experience, what happens not only in the external world and any relationships that you have, people you're connected to or business that you're in, but what happens in your body? Like we're talking about the symptom of the cult, which is like the gripping fear that paralyzes you from actually being able to have a new experience or think outside of that. Mm -hmm. Or even ask questions. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Ask questions. (laughs) Oh, that was one of the things in the teal swan. (laughs) The authority. Oh my God. (laughs) And that's the thing too, is like that we've spoken about cults and, and I never heard of Teal Swan until that <clears throat> docuseries came out. And I'm really grateful that it did come out because it was hella entertaining for me. <laughs> and, you know, on one hand it's sad, but at, at on the other hand, it's like just a interesting, you know, a lot of food for thought and that 
isn't the reason that we're having this conversation. Um, but it definitely goes right along with the conversation and exhibits the exact behaviors Mm -hmm. that we've experienced, such as the questioning of authority. And Mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it, you know, I recommend it if you're interested in, in watching something like that, or if you have a healing journey and, um, you know, I, I would suggest watching it with open eyes and an open mind to just really view it however you view it and not view it from our biased perspective, but <laughs> uh, really just check it out for yourself. But there, there is a moment where she tears this guy apart <laughs> with her words uh, because he questioned her. He questioned her authority and it wasn't even the authority that she had in that space. But it was, you know, what is there beyond you was the, the theme of the questioning. Mm-hmm. The, the underneath what he was saying, well, actually what he was really saying was like, who do you learn from? Mm-hmm. You know, and the response was basically like, I am all powerful. I'm totally conscious. And <laughs> well, she said at one point that she had never met anyone who matched her capacity of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have met God, yeah, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, or, or you you can't see that in another person. I mean, that's that's the truth is that each person really does have we're, – we're born with that capacity. And it's our responsibility on some level to take ownership of that or not. Um, but we got to own it, whatever it is. And that's the thing is like every person is – has the capacity for it, whether you feel like you do in this moment or not, it's in your body. The, ex- the ability to expand, to hold what God has for you, including consciousness <laughs> is already there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's definitely a message that I feel like we bring through this show often, mm-hmm. but yeah, in this exact example, it was like, I mean, how many times have we, questioned the authority or spoken up about something that didn't resonate was that allowed did it feel like that was allowed did we feel Mm -hmm. you know the gaslighting the narcissistic ego tendency to to justify certain behaviors or you know you start moving into a lot of tyrannical behaviors and a lot of basically Mm -hmm. being mind fucked like being totally screwed up in your own head and doubting the self-doubt you know comes in and it mm-hmm. grips you and then you don't know how to speak anymore. And then that was the majority of my experience in it. The negative experience that I had, I had some positive experience with the community that I was a part of, but there were definitely some culty undertones to that community. And that's why I think it's important to make the distinction there because I learned about inner child work. I learned about shamanic practices. I learned that was my introduction to new age. Mm-hmm the new age religion and I received and AA the 12 step programs, all, you know, all different kinds. And there were some really powerful moments Mm -hmm. of transformation and healing. And I got a lot out. I got a lot out of that experience. There were some really beneficial things and some things that I don't regret at all. And I, I cherish those experiences. And at the same time, there was this, other thing going on that eventually whenever because it started as rehab and then it turned into my lifelong purpose to 
be a part of this addiction recovery community. And I don't want to totally throw people from that community under the bus or the community itself, because like I said, I saw some really incredible transformation Mm -hmm. happen. And I also experienced that, but it got to a point where I was there for long enough to become a, a sort of support staff of the, the program and really get to see a little bit more of the inner workings of the program. And I thought that there were some healthy things going on there, but whenever it came time for me to do the things that they were encouraging me to do, which were things like be true to yourself, find your own authentic path and follow it. Um, You know, that whole saying is like to thine own self, be true, the journey to the authentic self. They would repeat these phrases over and over and over. And then whenever it came time for me to actually do that, I got encouraged enough within myself to start trying things outside of that community, right? My entire life was isolated to what started, like I said, as a rehab and then eventually became like, oh, this is just the life that I live now. I disconnected from my family almost completely. I disconnected from all old friends, all old think patterns of thinking, behaving, believing, uh, totally washed my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, totally washed my brain. And it was helpful because I had a really destructive way of thinking, um, being in active addiction and all kinds of things like that. But I also took on beliefs about myself of being an addict, being an alcoholic, and kind of having this lifelong terminal illness that I always need to deal with. And all of that stuff wouldn't have crumbled had I not left. But whenever I started pursuing passions and relationships outside of that community and the direct relationships that I had within that community, there was some major backlash. Mm-hmm that I experienced. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that people would acknowledge it from that community, like what was going on or the dynamics that had been put in place to make sure that I felt helpless without them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was really the thing. It was like, I was being faced with decisions in my life that were totally mine. And I felt like they weren't, I felt completely disempowered in those situations. And they were basic questions about my life path of like, do you want to do this? Is this something that you enjoy and that you're wanting to pursue, right? My music, my music career, my music production career was one thing. Um, I was trying to record an album and then my relationship with Jody was another. Uh, I wanted to be in relationship with her and at the time her family. And what was going, I mean, that's where I was recording music, all kinds of stuff. And the basic life path question of, is this something you want to pursue? And I was so tied up and twisted inside of myself because of my uh, responsibility, quote unquote, responsibility to the community and making sure they were okay with what I was doing, making sure that I checked in with them according to the strict, rigid guidelines and system of feedback you know, community feedback, you check in with all your brothers and sisters and, you know, your, your elders or whatever, and you have to make sure everyone's okay with it make sure everyone's holding you accountable, making sure you're in in your integrity and you're being honest with yourself. You know, are you having any internal struggle or we can see it on you? What's that about? You know? And then if you try to say anything to them, it's like, well, you're really coming from your ego right now. It was a bunch of gaslighting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that would just piss me off. Cause it's just like, dude, what the fuck? Um, do I, or do I not have 
a fucking choice to make here. And they'd be like, well, do you or do you not? And oh, it's like, no. oh, shit, mind fucks. <laughs> and it's like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not on my own grounds. You know, I don't have that established yet because I gave all of my authority to this community to help me save my fucking life. So it's just like, you know, then it, it wasn't even about a, well, then they would make it about like relapse and stuff. And it's like, if you're out of integrity, then you're on your way to relapse and you're betraying yourself and then you're on your way to relapse. And if you've been a part of the 12 step programs, you may have heard some of the things that I'm saying right now. And I've talked about them on the show, but Jody saw what I was going through and she's the one who would hit me with the questions like, Oh, I would be like, yo, I want to record an album. Can I do it at your house? She had a whole studio and all that. And she looked at me and she was like, are you committed to making this album? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> She's like, no, no, no. Like, look at me. Are you committed? Like how committed are you to making this album? You know, she didn't put it in the framework of like, you know, if shit hits the fan. Are you still going to show up and make this album? Like how committed are you? She just, she just asked that. And I, I didn't have any further context. I was just like, you know, I want to do it. That's committed. And so it was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> said, okay. Okay, then let's do it. And it was literally like our first recording session. And I went through this whole internal struggle because, guys, this is going to sound so silly, but I told – I was in a, a sober home with a few guys, and I told them I'd be home for dinner. I'd go to record, and then I'd be home for dinner. And we started recording late, and we had only been recording for like 30 minutes. I'm like, fuck this. I want more time. I'll just eat dinner here at the at the studio. And – I sent a message, a text message to a group of like 20 people. And it was like, decide, I changed my mind. I decided to eat dinner over here. I know I said I'd be back, but I'm going to stay and record. And oh man, did that set off a fucking energetic shit storm. First of all, it took a lot of courage for me to do that because of the brainwashing. But <laughs> I was like, you know, I really want to do this. Simple, simple as that. And they're like, no, you said you'd be back. Where are your priorities? You know, like, They they made it this thing about me putting the music in front of my recovery or what I was doing to pursue it was out of integrity or dishonest or that I wasn't being fully. You didn't have dinner with them. (laughs) Yes, dude. They it anything like that. It would be about the recovery. It'd be like about your recovery program and are you working a good program and holy shit! Like my whole body is just like feeling this weird anxiety just talking about it because it was it was a mind fuck total mind fuck and you know jody had already left to get dinner and she was coming back because i was like we'll just eat here and there was another guy with me who was just like all torn up about it too he was like man we should get back or whatever and i was like getting so pissed because i'm like this is fucked up you know i'm a grown adult and in my head, I'm like, I'm a grown adult. I can make my own decisions. They're not letting me. But really now looking back at it is like, I'm a grown adult and I still didn't know how to fucking live my own life. And I didn't know that I had my own life to live. And I was totally dedicated to this thing that had me in a bind. (laughs) I was in a bind. So I went back and there was a falling out. And eventually, um, you know, after that, I did what anybody does whenever they're scared. And I withdrew all of my energy from everything that had to do with anything going beyond the community. And I put all of my energy into the community for the next six months until it spit me out. Wow. And then I got to see, 
I got to see everything. I was like, holy fucking shit. And me and Jody reconnected. We didn't speak for six months. That's I felt something that I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> I was going to wrap up by saying like, I felt so ashamed and torn up because they made me feel, or I felt so guilty for wanting something mm-hmm. else. Um, and I was so confused at that point. So I literally just threw myself into the place for six months and cut everybody off. Didn't speak to Jody for six months. And the next time we spoke, I was in a totally different city, not a part of the program anymore, living my, living a, a different life. I was going to say, I think that this is something that I commonly, uh, hear about and see <clears throat> that people are afraid to like go the wrong way or take the wrong route or do the wrong healing or, mm-hmm. and this is, um, you know, people have expressed this to me as well, just in the air quotes quantum community, um, you know, like asking uh, almost obsessively, like, is this false light or is this like, what are your thoughts on this? And it's like, I understand wanting to get someone's uh, thoughts on something, but when it's coming from a place of fear around like not, you know, I don't trust my own discernment. I don't trust myself. I don't trust my relationship with God. And what do you think about this? Tell me the way to go so that mm-hmm. I don't do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, we really need to examine <laughs> what, where that's coming from. Um, but I think that we all get driven into cults and cults of personality because we, because we want to heal, you know, we're looking for, mm-hmm. we're looking for something that is going to bring us joy, bring us abundance, bring us healing, make us whole. And mm-hmm. I know um, for myself after my last tour in 2015 and um, I ended up sustaining a vocal injury and I was on eight months of vocal rest. Um, And it was traumatizing Mm -hmm. for me to experience that because my Mm -hmm. source of income had been taken away. Um, I could not produce for the record label that we were signed to. Um, my artistic outlet had been taken away and then just struggling to communicate for eight months because I wasn't allowed to whisper. I wasn't allowed to talk. Of course I broke it every now and then, but, um, it was recommended that I walk around with like a small whiteboard to, cause I had vocal nodules and right at the tail end of that, I, I mean, I was so depressed. I was crying like every, I never, th- I didn't know if I was going to be able to sing again. I didn't know mm-hmm. if I was going to bounce back from that. I didn't know if I was going to have to eventually have vocal cord surgery to remove them. I didn't know if they would heal on their own, you know, and this, this is the reason why my vocal rest was so long because I didn't want to have surgery. So I was trying to see if they would eventually go away on their own, which they did. But everything was so uncertain at that time. And mm-hmm. um, I started to, all the momentum that I had created in the music industry um, just came to a screeching halt. And um, I couldn't work. I was a yoga teacher also at the time, but I couldn't teach a class because I couldn't talk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then towards the 
tail end of that eight months, I remember just being super depressed and I was just scrolling my phone at home and I was on YouTube. And I guess because of some of my search history on YouTube, which would have been yoga and powwow dancing, this particular lineage of yoga popped up on my screen. And um, it was a yoga lineage that was created by a woman. Um, it just struck something in me. It like, um, I was instantly drawn to it. So I went to the website after watching one of the videos and in the video, the video was obviously really well, well produced. Um, but it, it showed this community of women and they looked so happy and empowered and they were loving on one another. And, um, it was just like a sacred sweat session, but it was yoga and it just, it did something to me like on a, on a primal level. So I went to their website and I saw that there was a certification happening in Atlanta, like right after I was coming off of vocal rest. And I just went ahead and booked it and I had never done this ever before in my life. <clears throat> so I showed up to the certification and I was like the only one there who had never experienced this particular format of yoga before, had never done an online class, had never done any of their online streams or anything. I just showed up completely green. I passed the certification, which I was flabbergasted because I felt like I blacked out during it. And I, I remember go afterwards I telling one of the girls, I wish I would have done powwow dancing in my demo. And she was like, oh, you did. And I was like, what? <laughs> so um, anyway, and I remember going home and I was, or I was staying with my friends in Atlanta and I remember going to sleep after the certification and I was dreaming about it. I woke up and I was just like, I was crying because I was like, this is all I want to do. This is all I want to do. But for, for so long, for eight months, I was completely isolated. No, like could hardly communicate with people. I was depressed. So when I went to this thing, it was like, you know, like 30 women and mm -hmm. it was community. It was love. People there were so supportive and things like that. And it was fun. And it, it moved me on the inside, you know? And I brought it back to um, the Emerald Coast here, and I started to pioneer the practice here. And I started um, teaching the classes, started growing the community here and promoting that brand. And, um, and then I started hosting certifications here. Well, um, then the brand started to expand. So it wasn't just that there was this one particular type of yoga. Then they started doing um, a, a core format. Then they started doing a sculpt format. Then they started doing um, all these other different types of formats that were similar, but not the same. And then they, then they created a yoga mat. Then they created a supplement line. And then they opened a, a yoga studio franchise. And then they did, um, so this, Oh, then they had like yoga clothes, specific yoga clothes, you know? Dang. And this woman built a mm. dynasty. Blowing up. An absolute dynasty. Oh, and then she had a self-personal development brand also that was included in this. And um, <laughs> so I decided that I wanted to be what they called a master trainer. Um, and it was somebody who traveled around and led the certifications. 
So as I started to work my way up through this uh, ladder towards HQ, things started to get a little squirrely. (laughs) And I started leading certifications and I loved it Mm -hmm. so much. I mean, and I led my certifications, I think a little bit differently than some of the other master trainers did. Um, But when I'm telling you that it was just because I was a master trainer, there was a cult of personality around me. And like women would line up to get pictures with me, to have me sign their manuals, their yoga manuals and stuff like that. And then it was like, um, everyone wanted to get the new drop of the yoga clothes that were coming out. You had to have the specific branded yoga mat and all this kind of stuff, or you weren't really a, like a, like a real dedicated devotee. Right. And I remember like telling people specifically when I would open up my trainings, I would be like, I, don't like being called a master trainer. I'm a pretty good guide, but I'm not a master. Um, so, and then I would, I would still sign people's manuals, but I would always tell them, I would be like, I am not a celebrity. I'm just a human being. I'm going to do this because you asked me to, and I'm not going to, you know, make it weird or make a thing out of it. But I want you to understand that I'm not, I'm not a celebrity. This, you know, it made me feel really weird. It made me feel super weird. Um, but the community mm-hmm. like was so, uh, it really did enrich my life. Um, I just remember the amount of love at the certifications and then like everyone at the end of the practice, like in Shavasana laying on the floor and we were all holding hands and there were some really beautiful, beautiful moments. And it really did, um, I think it was an opportunity for a lot of spiritual and emotional growth, especially healing my feminine relationships too, because um, that was a challenge for me before this. And after I started doing this, I really started to love women. And um, so <laughs> anyway, I I started flying back and forth to HQ and then like doing like girl trips and stuff with the figurehead who created this company. Um, she would like fly us out to New York and stuff like that for a weekend or to, to like film and stuff like that. Um, and then I would fly to HQ and I would do, um, you know, recordings for their online platform and stuff like that. And uh, like photo shoots and things like that. I even hosted um, a workshop at one of their yoga conventions and stuff. And the more that I spent time there, the more weird it got. And this, this is the woman that I was saying that Teal Swan reminded me of. They just have a different hair color. And I think that this other woman's probably a little bit shorter, but, and, and you know what, maybe she's changed. And I want to go ahead and preface with this because people do change, you know, people experience things like we were talking about in the last episode. I remember saying that I, that I had treated people harshly based on my beliefs at the time. Right. And so maybe, maybe she's changed. I do know that since she has sold mm-hmm. the company, um, her dynasty that she created and she only kept her personal development program. Um, she sold it to another master trainers, uh, 
family. And I think she remains like the, the figurehead of it, but she does, she no longer owns it. And, uh, I just, there was like a whole mass exodus. There was a mass exodus of master trainers. And then it's like the new wave of master trainers came in, which included me. Right. And then, um, then there was another, Mm -hmm. I think about a year, there was another mass exodus. Someone actually created an Instagram page that had screenshots of some of the text messages that this woman had sent that were like talking about other people saying shitty things about other people. Um, and people were sending in screenshots to have it outed because mm. they were saying that she was a narcissist and an abuser and all of this kind of stuff. And I had had some interactions with her and I remember them feeling off, but I think I was naive at the time. And I really, really thought that this was like the thing I really believed in this methodology for um, like healing through movement. I really, really believed in it. And once I started seeing all of this stuff and the online group kind of like exploded into mutiny over some of the things that she said and these recordings that she released around the time of the pandemic, um, which is actually, I think February of 2020 is when I gave my resignation. But um, I started seeing these things and I started to have more context for some of the interactions that I had had with her because I thought the interactions that I had had with her were maybe my fault because I was awkward or I didn't really know how to communicate. At one point she called me a spiritual infant, (laughs) you know, and I'm just like, "Mm -hmm." so I started to recognize patterns. Once I saw what other people were sharing, I started to have a wider Mm -hmm. lens. It started to broaden my context of what was going on. And that's when I decided to um, turn in my resignation as much as I loved the practice, it really just soured it for me. It put such a sour taste in my mouth after all of this went down. And I look back on some of that experience and maybe I will be able to, you know, practice, practice it unofficially (laughs) uh, without feeling some sort of way about it, but I just can't do it, you know, at this time. Yeah. So interesting. I Something that you were saying, Danica, was reminding me, I think we've had this conversation before, but one of the pitfalls, I think, that um, <clears throat> make it so easy to fall into the trap you said in your story, like you were talking about, first of all, the emotional um, experience that you were having. So a lot of emotional stuff going on there, like, you know, that felt good. It felt, you know, connected. Mm-hmm. And because we long for that so much, it's right. man, it's such an easy thing to manipulate, you know? I've always said, like, the difference between healthy community and cult-like community is, is the difference of are you connecting people or are you collecting people? Right. Like, those two things are so distinctly different. Mm. <laughs> and I feel like um, I probably would have <clears throat> had better discernment if I wasn't coming from such a... Uh, like a desperate place. You know what I mean? Because I had just had that eight months of isolation and injury and everything that I had worked for my entire life was falling apart. And I felt like I needed some sort of purpose or meaning. And I wanted community. I wanted empowerment. I wanted love. And I found all of that there. And then I remembered 
it was just so <laughs> rigid and structured yeah. in such a dogmatic way. We were not allowed to ask questions. We were not, we had to, uh, we had to instruct people in a certain way. Um, we had to use very specific cueing and stuff like that, that sometimes did not even make any sense. People were teaching wrong anatomy that is just scientifically unfounded. And that right there, because we couldn't dissent, we couldn't even question, that right there constitutes a cult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the cult of, you know, our way is the only way. <laughs> the cult of we have the answer that everyone's looking for. They just don't know that they're looking for it, but we're the ones holding it. Or you can't mm-hmm. question authority. You can't question what is being presented if it's false. Um, I think that was why, you know, it's so valuable to look at all of the different ways that it shows up because it's not just in, you know, a religious setting or a spiritual Mm -hmm. setting, you know, it just shows, it shows up where it shows up. And one of the things that you were sharing was taking me back to a thought that I've had over and over again about my own experience in the different cults, because after I did MLM and after I did insurance, I jumped uh, into personal development. And I went to work for a company, a personal development company. And I ended up um, through a series of unfortunate events, honestly, uh, working for the company. And after I've looked over all of my near cult experiences, (laughs) there is a, a thread. There are many threads that are similar through all of them. But one of them is that feeling like Danica, you said about wanting to feel like you're contributing, wanting to feel like you're doing something important, you know, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And it was like, there was this, the reason that it's so effective with people is whenever we don't address the wounding inside of us that makes us feel less than, Mm -hmm. um, we're easy prey. We're just easy prey for the right person to come in and go, oh my God, you're amazing. Oh my God, you have so much to offer what we're doing. Oh my God, I love whenever you do this, or I love your energy, or I love how you show up like this. And they prey on people in very vulnerable spaces who, and I'm speaking for myself, because at the times when I look back over my life of the things that I became attached to, the things that I became plugged into, I was being praised left and right Mm -hmm. for what I brought to the, to the group, how I did this, how I showed up your energy, Jody, you just have all this, you have that, you have this. And I was wounded enough and I was feeling small in my life such that that made me feel valid. And Mm -hmm. that validation is what hooks people. It's what gets people hooked in to these groups and these programs and all of these communities if they feel like they have something to offer the space mm-hmm. and they're being acknowledged for what they offer the space. And that's what we were seeing even last year with the community of people coming together. It was like the way that people got collected mm-hmm. was they were, you know, given some role of importance. Right. Right. And you know, without them understanding that in their own wound of feeling unimportant, that that not being addressed is what was so easy to target and go, let me, 
let me deem you important. Mm -hmm. Let me heal all of your brokenness with this one task that's so important. You are the only one who can Mm -hmm. fulfill it. And so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And in this particular community, I will say I learned so much and I grew so much. There were really wonderful things that I experienced about it. And I started to see though, well, first of all, that what you just said, exactly. It happened to me because she, the first time that she met me at a weekend, she was like, you're very good. We want you to be a master trainer. Let's fast track you through it. I'm going to give you all of these different certifications and all of this kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh, Mm -hmm. whoa, you know? And then the other thing that I was going to say is that I saw this community of women that were supposed to be collaborating and, you know, like we we've heard that term before collaboration over competition or community over competition. Mm -hmm. And it started to become this weird competition to see who could who could collect all of the certifications or who got all of the yoga clothes whenever they dropped or who had the yoga mat you know and who had who was taking the supplements and it was like the whole dynamic was so weird but it was like everyone was all about love and feminine relationships and all this kind of stuff but then underneath there was such a, an energy of competition i actually oh, yeah. lost some friends over mm-hmm. me leaving. Um, obviously, I've kept some of them. And then one relationship that I had in particular, actually two relationships that I had in particular, were actually preyed upon by the figurehead of this brand. I think it's so fascinating. I'm actually sitting here looking at the the lineage of how all of this is connected and like where the spokes in the wheel are jutting out from like different central points. And I'm like, this is fascinating actually. Well, we should put it this way, the angelic family and starseed community. Like it's, there's this idea around (laughs) the angelic family and who's an angelic being, a high angelic being. You don't, you can't just be an angelic being. You, they're high angelic beings, okay? Right. So you, you can't just be a star seed. You have to be a multifaceted star seed. Yeah. So it's right. like a, you know, the whole star seed idea. Like we said at the very beginning of this show, is don't be star seduced. <laughs> I was like, you know, this time a year ago before we started the show, it was mm-hmm. don't be star seduced because there's a lot of stuff going on around there. And whether it's, True or not, you know, Dolores Cannon talks about it, yada, yada. All these different people want to describe what's going on with the star seeds, what's going on with the angelics, the angelic family. What are they here to do? What is ascension? You know, unlock the consciousness of this planet, upgrade the DNA, activate the DNA, restore the DNA, uh, create new DNA, all this crap. <laughs> and there's real science to back this. And that's a part of why we started the show, too, was to... Mm-hmm talk about that and really highlight and get out of the conversation that has to do solely with personality worship and all of this thematic idea of what quantum is supposed to be or um, what a star seed is. And that becomes its own thing. It's like, oh, are you in or are you out? If you feel like you're in, that means you're in. Like if this resonates with you, then you're a high angelic being. Okay, now what does that mean? And take on that. <laughs> it's like people, yeah. It, 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 we went through it, walked right through it, went through all of the different things. Everything I just mentioned, I have spoken about mm-hmm. as a 
part of that being like that being a part of my identity. This is all going on around, around the same time. It's like what I shared about the community that I was in, I was a poster boy for 12 step programs, codependence anonymous. Even I was a poster boy for inner child work. I was a freaking poster boy for shamanic medicine. But yeah, I mean, even even white people have indigenous shamanic culture, and it's um, that that was kind of what we talked about last week. Last week was <clears throat> the Christosophia, and right around the the collapse of my own cult experience, there was this introduction straight into the Christosophia, and. Mm-hmm. that was like the new community and boom, there you go. It was the exact same babe. Like you said, once you already have the hardwiring for it, once you already have, and the hardwiring underneath that hardwiring is the union mm-hmm. conversation, which we've brought time and time again. Well, that's what happened to me is like right after, right after I gave my resignation as a master trainer, <laughs> I was like fast track right into quantum healing work, you know, the implants, the, plugins the infrastructure the architecture all these mm-hmm. different beings and which dimension they come from this mm-hmm. gift comes from this specific dimension you have to be trained to know about it how to recognize it what to do with it how to remove it how to seal it up <laughs> and now i mean and there may have been two years ago at the time where i was being introduced to this entire world of quote-unquote quantum healing um but now we're more aware that there <laughs> is a lot more um, – what's the, what's the word? There's a lot more substance tried and true mm-hmm. behind and underneath what we were talking about and seeing in the sessions, mm-hmm. seeing in our private session work. And we've talked about that on the show too. Is like everything that we saw in the quantum session work that we were doing – doing actual work, but still not really understanding the tech of the body that allows these things to happen. And now we're understanding more of the tech as more and more research is being done, more and more scientific study and observation is being done and the biofeedback technology that we have mm-hmm. to really observe and measure what's going on in the, you know, almost untouchable quantum session experiences there's a, it's, it's really grounding it all. Mm -hmm. I think that we cycle through these things too, um, until we really get to glean all the, all of the wisdom that there is to glean out of them, because I'm looking at it now, as I've told this whole story and I'm seeing a thread that I never saw before. Um, and in my own experience, I think having left the music industry with my dream of being a star being crushed, you know, moving into this yoga community where I was fast tracked to this, you know, pinnacle of leadership as a master trainer. And then having people treat me like a celebrity. And, and I was starting to break down this thing around that, like, this doesn't feel right. Right. This doesn't feel good. But I think it was because it was in the context of a yoga community that celebrity didn't belong there. Right. And, um, And then it was about that time that I started to break down all the stuff around my need to be a star in the music industry and what, how that had to do with my, you know, my father wounding and how I connected with my dad through music and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, him seemingly abandoning me when he went to prison when I was young. I've talked about that a lot, but then 
when I left the yoga community and then came into the quantum healing community, and then there was still a cult of personality around me. And I think Mm -hmm. I didn't really see it um, until all of that stuff started to break down in last September, you know, Mm -hmm. and I look at that and I remember telling people like, um, I can say it all day long. I'm just a person. I'm nothing, you know, I'm nobody special and all this kind of stuff. And yet I look back and I can definitely still see that there was a part of me that you can conceptualize it. And yet it's not anchored into your body. Right. And it's like that. I think that was also a thread of, um, through those experiences of still needing to feel important or needing to feel seen, heard, validated, special. And it's like, I feel like I'm in a completely different place now, you know, and I'm sure in a year I'll be looking back at this conversation being like, oh, there was still, maybe there's still some of that that's going to be <laughs> down, you know, but right. it's like, right. <laughs> It's just really interesting to behold all of that because I had never even considered all of that before until yeah. having just, you know, had this conversation and said it out loud. Yeah. And I, you know, the thing is, is that I sharing even my own um, reflection of looking back over all of the line of things that I had worked through in terms of like these near cult experiences, seeing my own place of like, oh, still I was wounded. Still I was needing to feel valid. Still I was mm-hmm. needing to feel like I was bringing value or I was important in some way. There was still something small in me that mm-hmm. was feeling like I wasn't those things. And so for somebody to see it, it's what it's what causes people to be lured by celebrity and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Because it's like, if anyone that you admire validates you, mm-hmm. it's done. You know what I mean? Like they can do whatever they want at that point because like Danica, you saying that, you know, right away, it's like, let's fast track you. We want you to be this. We want you to be that. We want you to do this thing. It's like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. immediately you've come off of eight months of feeling depressed and unseen. And like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get out and do the thing that I wanted to do. But now here's somebody who's validating me, who's saying that I'm important, who's saying that I need to, you know, step into this role and it just hits that thing just right. And it happens to all of us. That's how we Mm -hmm. get lured into these places. Well, that's the thing about the quantum healing community too, was validating people by giving them a role, collecting Mm -hmm. them. And this was the, this is the whole thing around the structure of what you were saying, Bo, like the the star seeds or the angelic family um, or whatever your role was in Avalon and all of this kind of stuff, that is what's hooking people. It's hooking people into feeling the need to get sessions because they're addicted to knowing what's going to happen next. Tell me more about my past life. Tell me more about who I am. And what really started to break it down for me last September was, um, well, it was a lot of things, but I remember specifically having questions Well, first of all, some of the things that I were experiencing were being, um, uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for right now, but that basically this person was like, well, no, that's wrong because this is what I saw. And this is the way that it is. Mm -hmm. This is what I I saw in the fields. This is the way that it is. You're talking about like 
like having an experience and somebody telling you something right. and then going somewhere else? Well, me having an experience on my own and then telling oh. somebody about it and then, you know, negating it. That was the word I was looking for. Negating mm-hmm. it by saying, well, this goes against the experience that I had. So that's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then I started having questions. So then I started asking questions and my questions were met as if they were a rebellion. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that's when everything really started to break down. Cause I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to use my real name. <laughs> and then all hell broke loose. Right. Well, when people's paradigms get challenged and they're not ready to release their paradigm, mm-hmm. it's just going to be war. You know, mm-hmm. that is what it's going to be because their identity is wrapped in their paradigm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. One thing oh that was gosh. specifically said to me was this is Luciferian rebellion energy. Mm. Like me asking questions about things. <laughs> Uh-oh. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So then <clears throat> uh, what does that do? That ignites the me turning the questioning back on myself. You know, do I feel guilty? Do I feel ashamed for asking these questions? Now I'm having issues trusting myself. Now I'm not tr- now I'm not trusting my discernment. Now I feel right. right now I feel because I've been accused of being luciferian. Now I feel separated from God. And so it's like <laughs> Yeah. It's a yep. lot of fuckery. And- it is. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of the remedy here. And I can see it in definitely in my own story and in so many others is like there's this moment and it can take years to really get to the bottom of this. At least it has for me, even since then, at many layers. And the question is, at what point did you give your authority to something outside of your own mm-hmm. self, your own consciousness? And that, you know, answering that question and even identifying it has helped, but identifying it isn't even as important as really taking ownership of the authority that you have right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And that has healed a lot of the doubt. I mean, there's still, of course, there's still some self-doubt in me that I'm working through, but it's mostly around things that I want to create still, (laughs) but it's, uh, there's less of that thing. And most of the time, virtually none of that thing. That's like, I need to check in with everybody else. I need to make sure that other people are okay with me doing this. I need to make sure that somebody else, at least one other person thinks that this is a good enough idea. Mm -hmm. Um, because what I am here to do and pursue and create that I was trying to two years ago, can't come through unless it comes through me and there can be other relationships and even a community to support that. But the idea itself has to be given the space inside of me under my own conscious authority and sovereignty to really develop. Otherwise down the road, as it's grown up, the ideas birthed into the world, there are going to be things that, pull on that same thing Mm -hmm. two years ago that was like this isn't what you should be doing um this is going to fail all of these you know you're out of integrity trying to do this yada 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 the the things that bring that dislodging of 
you know, my trust and my faith from my center point, it starts to dislodge it. And then the self-doubt comes in and it has the potential to totally collapse. So identifying, and I heard it somewhere in your story, Danica, but I don't remember the exact moment, but it was, um, that's when it came up and it was like, holy shit. Yeah. That was, that's what it was for me was where <clears throat> did I give my authority to this thing? And for me with the story that I told it, it's in at many levels and partially it was right away. As soon as I got into this community, they drilled into my brain. You cannot think for yourself. Your best thinking got you here. Like that whole addiction thing. That's like, mm-hmm. if you think that you know what to do in this situation, just look at your life, <laughs> right. which sometimes is a valuable <clears throat> tool to like show somebody like, I know you're trying to like really take the reins on this one, but simmer down, bro, because your best thinking got you here. But they did that over and over and over until a year later, I was still using that same logic trying to grow mm-hmm. and being like handing my authority over like, is this the right thing or mm-hmm. should I do this or is this, you know, the order you do it in or how do I do this? Am I doing it right? And is this constant outsourcing for validation and approval? Yeah. For me, I can say like in my experiences of all of the things that I went through, somehow through the course of being a part of it, I would always end up being right, literally right in the space with whoever was leading the charge. It was me and them. Mm -hmm. And it happened over and over and over again. And what would happen in that space for me was seeing behind the curtain and seeing what was really going on. And I remember there would be times I would have conversations with myself because I would witness people and I would see them speak publicly in a certain way. But then in private spaces behind closed doors, I would see what was really going on. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And the last time it happened was whenever I was working for the personal development company and I was very close with the man that was running the company. I mean, it was his company. Mm-hmm. And Um, we spent lots of time together, you know, just like on weekends and all of these things that we were doing and what was being shared in public with people was not what was being lived in private. Mm -hmm. And at this point I had gone through this enough times that, um, I remember when I said to him, I am moving on. I'm not going to keep doing this. He was going through a lot of hell at that time in his life. And so he just kind of like took it with a grain of salt and was like, okay, yeah, you know, you're just moving on, whatever. He had too much going on in his life to really pay attention. But I remember the heaviness I felt in me because I had invited people to come participate in these programs Mm. and to be mentored by this man and to be guided by this man. But I knew what was going on behind closed doors. And I remember that I was like, I cannot be complicit in this anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, no one else knew. That was the one thing. It was like, I was always like, you know, covering people's ass, basically, so that it didn't hurt. I, I was like, how can I do this to hurt the least amount of people? You know, I don't want to hurt the people that I've invited into this. And I don't want to defame this person. What is the best thing to do? And in all honesty, I mean, maybe there are some things I would do again the same way. But when I look back over it, um, there are 
many places where I would just be very truthful mm-hmm. about what was happening instead of thinking that it was my job to protect everybody. Mm-hmm. And because I would get out and I never got out unscathed, never, not once, you know, it was like, <laughs> Jody did this and oh, Jody and da, da, da. and I'm like, y'all don't even know what I freaking know. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, even now it's like, I, I'm sure that there's many people with many opinions about even the disintegration of things that just happened in the spiritual community, you know, a short year ago. But in truth, there's so much that hasn't been shared. There's so much that hasn't been said for the purpose of, you know, um, hoping to protect people and, and keep the damage, the fallout minimal, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because people do get hurt in the process. People always get hurt in the process when these things break apart and they always break apart because Mm -hmm. they're founded on something false, right? They're founded on something that cannot sustain the truth. I think that that's a really good point. Jody is to look at these figureheads, these, (laughs) and see, does their life match what they're teaching? Mm-hmm. You know, because I can look mm-hmm. at all of these stories that I've brought forward so far and not a one of them, you know, the, m- live their life in the same way that they tell others to live their life. Right. Mm. And the other thing that you were talking about, Bo, you were basically talking about the language used to kind of program you to hook you in to mm-hmm. the community. And I think that I think I really think there's something here because in the yoga community, I remember the first on the first page of the manual, it talks about how people feel about this particular practice and they rank it right up there with all of their other like personal identifiers. So I something about um, women might say that they're a wife, a mother, and then a insert the grouping name here, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, and I remember the first time I read that I was like, oh, so this is supposed to define who I am, (laughs) you know, and so many people are reading it and reading this first page about how important this practice is, what it can do for you, how many people around the world, how many women around the world identify with it and use it as an identity marker for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing with the quantum healing community. All of the jargon, all of the words hypnotize you or or program you to feel a certain way about it. And I'm still seeing it used to manipulate people even after all of the fallout that happened last year. Right. Yeah. Right. It's been one of the biggest conversations Bo and I have had um, with regard to the thing that we feel so connected to, which is connecting with people. We love to connect with people genuinely, sincerely. I mean, Danica, we didn't even really know you. And we were at your house last year in Florida, like let's hang out. And then two weeks passed and we were like, Oh shit, we're still here. You know, it's like, (laughs) we enjoy that opportunity to build a relationship that's real and not just virtual Mm -hmm. where we can, you know? And one of the things that we have talked about so many times is um, in the community of people that gather around the stuff that we uh, speak about in our Christed priesthood teaching, it's like we want to create space for people to get together in person because we know they enjoy doing that. And we've also had conversation like, how do we do this? How do we help people connect without it 
slipping that slope of people then congregating in a way that it becomes this thing that we have escaped so many times. Right. And I can honestly say that it is a slippery slope. It doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter how pure your intentions are. There is a slippery little space right there. And it does require that each person, not just the people that are leading a thing or organizing a thing or whatever, not just that person, but everyone in the space really know who the hell they are Mm -hmm. and that they are not looking for other people to validate that about them. But here's the thing is that lots of times when people are coming to these things to learn, they don't know who they are. They don't have a strong sense of identity and they are looking outside of themselves for guidance. Right. So somebody in that space better be looking at them and going, it's in there. It's not over here. Right. It's in there. It's not over here. And that's the job (laughs) of the facilitator. But lots of times. It's the job of everybody. Yes, it is the job of the facilitator. It's the job of everybody in the space who has any level of awareness that Mm -hmm. this is not a trap I want to fall into again. Right. But it's so important for the facilitator to have that wherewithal to hold that type of space. Mm-hmm. At least. Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah. well, where yeah. the other people, sure. you know, retain their personal agency. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah. We hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. And um, as always, there are many ways to support the show. And we welcome and encourage feedback and comments, questions from our listeners. We're open for conversations. And yeah, we just appreciate all of you for listening and hope hope that you gathered some insights and support and even some encouragement from listening to this episode about near cult experiences more to come 